I find the tell and if you've asked a really good question is when somebody goes, ooh, that's a good question, and they sort of slow down, and they pause, and you can see them sort of digging you know, deep inside for some sort of insight like that. It's the sign of a fantastic question. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to this latest episode of Unsaid at Work. I'm your host, Catherine Stagg-Macy, and today we're going to be talking about the five powerful questions that are going to change your life. Yep, there I've said it. I'm going to stick to it. These are the five most powerful questions that you kind of need in your pocket. The art of asking powerful questions is a skill that we need both in our home lives and our work lives. Leaders, we often think that we need to know the answers to everything, and it's particularly as we kind of move further up in our careers and in the hierarchy. And no, we really, the skill is actually knowing how to ask good questions. So in this episode, I want to share the questions, the powerful questions that have had a huge impact on me and on my clients. I've been lucky to have good coaches and mentors and supporters along the way. And what made them so impactful, if I think back to those sort of key moments, the way in which they asked the questions, they asked questions that opened doors, that had me kind of go inside and reflect. They didn't know the answer to the question, because that's not the whole point. I didn't know the answer either. The whole point of a powerful question is it sends you on this path of discovery. I find the tell, and if you've asked a really good question, is when somebody goes, ooh, that's a good question. And they sort of slow down and they pause and you can see them sort of digging you know, deep inside for some sort of insight like that. It's the sign of a fantastic question. This is a very different experience to questions meant or what were expected of questions when I was a child growing up. Dinner table conversations were really about demonstrating knowledge and knowledge was empirical and binary and there were right and wrong answers. My schooling, this is South Africa in the 80s, just reinforced this. I remember one English class, we were discussing the poetry of Siegfried Sassoon, who was, he wrote some very deep poetry about the war and about pain and loss. And my English teacher asked questions. What did we understand of this poem? What does this line really mean? And even with poetry, it was expected that there was only one answer and that we would know that single right answer, which, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, poetry is highly interpretive unless you're talking to the author of the poem in front of you. You know, we're interpreting what they mean by that. So, yeah, there's this idea of questions being somewhat combative. And there was only sort of one way white raid to, to answer them was sort of deeply embedded in my upbringing, and I think possibly for yours too. And so here's the sort of the reframe that I've come to learn as a coach is this idea of powerful questions and the freedom in them. The powerful question is like a mini adventure. You don't know where it's going to take you, but and it might not be easy where it takes you, but you know it's going to be meaningful and it's going to be impactful. These questions are sort of so expansive and invitational. There's no way to get it wrong. Like, that's the good thing, right? And the only person who knows the answer to the question is the person who's receiving the question. I want to share with you in this episode my top five favorite powerful questions. I'll tell you what the question is, but also to share with you a little bit about how I've used them more on, on myself or maybe with the client just to demonstrate the point. And feel free, depending on where you are and what you're doing when you're listening to this, just to stop after I've posed the question before I kind of dive into what it's about and maybe reflect for a few moments. Maybe you can ask yourself that question of yourself in that moment. So let's get started. So question one, my favorite powerful question. These aren't actually in any order, but let's start with question one. What's this in service of? Let me give you an example. Is it client of mine who, entrepreneur, was about to get into a co-founder partnership and needed to have a fairly difficult conversation with his 
potential co-founder. But my client felt incredibly dependent on the skills that this person was going to bring into the business. And so really was scared that if this difficult conversation went badly, then it would threaten this potential co-founder deal. And he really needed this other person to join the business. So he was sort of tiptoeing around on, on eggshells and, and he knew that wasn't helping. So when I asked him, like, what's this important conversation in service of? My client could take a step back and he could see the stake around the financial viability of the startup. Like this, this was a conversation that had to happen. And possibly that this co-founder, who wasn't yet a co-founder, probably wasn't thinking of finances yet. And so it gave my client the conversation to have the courage to have that conversation because the conversation was bigger than this relationship. This conversation was about the startup thing that he'd built and brought into the world. I found that we can get very caught up in the mechanics of things, like how is this going to work out and how, what are people going to think of me when the stakes are high? We can trip ourselves up. So why this question works is that it takes us out of the weeds. It reminds us to, you know, to look at what is it that really matters here? What is this in service of? What is it you trying to bring or create it, bring into being in this world? That's the magic of this question. It's that question two. What's the worst that could happen? You and I derail ourselves with our fears. We let the vague thought of some terrible monster outcome stop us in our tracks. And knowing everything I know, I still do this. And we don't even get to considering an action plan. We're just sort of in this freeze place or slightly terrified by this. So, for example, when I talk to people about leaving a shitty job when they've got something amazing lined up, they can be very caught up with, yeah, but I'll be the first one out. This is the reason why I shouldn't leave because if I join there, then when they make cutbacks, I'll be the first on the list because I was the first one in. And you're like, wow, okay. So, okay, let's do the dance for that. Let's dance for that thought. Like, what's the worst that can happen? And if I'm working for a client, I working with a client, I really encourage that kind of full worst case scenario. Like, let's go DEFCON 5 and like how bad this could be. Like, and keep unfolding it. So, so then you're out of work. And like, and then what happens? And just notice even those are just powerful questions there. Why this question works is that it gets us to really face our fears, like to open that cupboard where the monsters, where we think our monsters rattling inside and look those monsters in the eye and go, really? And there's two things that happen. One, we realize that there aren't any monsters in the cupboard or we see the monsters and we just know that we would survive them coming out of the cupboard. In either of those realizations, we kind of take out the power out of the fear. We can de-escalate the fear. And, and just to be clear, I'm not advocating you do something despite your fears. This is not one that's sort of feel your fear and do it anyway. This question is about getting really clear about what those fears really are, the detail and the run the full catastrophizing out. What's the nuance of the fear? Where is it going to go? What's really underneath all of that? And is that true? And then we're being really honest with ourselves about the impact and the likelihood of that happening. And nine times out of 10, when I ask this question and get to a point where my client starts to laugh and says, you know, when I say it out loud, it's not as bad as it sounded in my head. You're like, yeah, boom. The power of a powerful question. Question three, who's driving the bus? One of my great coaches, Peggy, once coached me on who was in charge of my life, who was driving the bus of my life. Was it my head? Was it my heart? Was it my gut? I was in a pickle about something. I couldn't remember what it was, but very in my head and very caught up and like, there's only one way and it's the right way to do it and it felt very hard so she she did this fun coaching approach where she invited all three aspects of me into the room and each had their own chair got to be coached by her 
And it turned out my head was driving the bus of my life, making all the decisions and completely dismissing the kind of perspective of my heart and my gut, who had lots of valuable insight into my challenge. And what I love about this question and why it works is because it acknowledges that we have these different parts of ourselves. We have, we have many selves. You know, we have many ways of viewing a situation. It could be the head and the heart, it could be your wise self, your irrational self, your imposter voice. There's a number of ways of looking at this. And there's always a constellation of selves fighting in us to get heard. And this question helps us sort of see, well, who's an action in charge? If we're asking this question at this point, the answer is it's usually not you. It's usually some sort of triggered part of yourself. And then we get to decide like what they need to kind of get out of the driving seat into the passenger seat and get you back in charge. It's a great question. So question four, how do I make this easy? This question is aimed at the perfectionists out there. If you want to put your hand up there with me. Yeah, I see you, my friend, you and me both. I have used this question a lot in my own reflection work because perfection can drive me to this point where it sucks the joy and ease out of my life, even when it's something I've wanting to do i've chosen to do this so you know what will happen i'll take on a project that i really genuinely want to do and i'm looking forward to then a few months later i'm all grumpy about it because it's boring or it's hard and i become this victim in my own sort of self-made drama and so the question of how do i make this easy invites a shift in perspective kind of challenges the assumption that you're stuck in that this has to be hard why get stuck in? The question could also be, how do I make this more joyful? How do I make this more fulfilling? You know, what, insert whatever sort of positive and affirming words work for you. What I love about this question is that it highlights for me that I'm a choice. Even when I feel like I'm not, it reminds me that I am. We are always a choice. Question five and the last question of my five favorite questions that'll change your life, which is, what am I avoiding? Ever find yourself wheel spinning? This is a great question. Like, take my client. He's in charge of a pretty or a very large digital transformation project, and he's super qualified for this, very qualified for this. It's a project that's been handed in by the CEO, so it's high stakes. It's got a lot of high visibility, high stakes. He, he keeps postponing the start of this, and he tells me the story that he's a procrastinator, just how he is, and you know, we need to work on the procrastination. But he's smart, right? So I know this is not about, it's not about skills. Like he, he knows how to manage himself. He knows how to start a project like this. It's not the nature of the project or the scale of the project. He's done stuff like this before. So when I ask him, like, what is he avoiding, we get to the nub of it all. If he doesn't start this, then he won't ever have a chance to fail. So what's he avoiding? He's avoiding failure. Because for him, failure is him being a failure. Like he, it's how he frames it as the failure is him and that impacts his self-worth and his self-esteem. So what am I avoiding is just a really great question to uncover that commitment you've made to yourself about staying safe. Like no judgment here. Like we do this. We do we make these sort of, have these hidden commitments to ourselves about how are we going to stay safe and then avoid doing the very thing that we say that we want to be doing. So these are my favorite questions. Let's do a little summary here. Question one, what's this in service of? Question two, what's the worst that could happen? Question three, who's in charge of the bus? Question four, how do I make this easy? And question five, what am I avoiding? Use these when you're feeling confused or overwhelmed or stuck. Any of these questions will get you unstuck. Like, learn to be your own coach. These are five questions I like in no particular order. But if you Google powerful questions, you'll find long lists out there, like long PDFs, like with 500 plus examples of powerful questions that you can go have a look at if you want more or different ones. 
and try them out in whatever reflective practice you have. Maybe it's journaling, maybe it's just thinking to yourself when you're out walking, meditation. Just take the question with you and let it open up the possibilities in you. I hope you feel inspired to try out a powerful question with yourself, maybe in a one-to-one or even in a meeting. I'd love to know how you get on with these. Like email me and let me know how you get on or any insight that you have. Or if you have another question, your own favorite question, email me that too. You can get me at Catherine at conversations at the edge.co.uk. And if you enjoy this show, then please rate and review us. It helps us to be found by other people who will get value from this podcast as well. And until next week, this is your wingwoman, Catherine Stagmacy, signing off. <laughs>